Hey everyone, welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Mott and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when you remember that to whom much is given, much is expected. I cannot believe I'm saying this right now, but this is the 100th episode of Be The Change podcast. I want to start off by saying a huge thank you to everyone who is listening now and who has listened to this podcast over the last two years. I also want to thank everyone who has been a guest on this show because you were all doing amazing work and you were so inspirational, not only to me, but to the listeners of this podcast and to so many others. So not only thank you for coming on this podcast, but thank you for the work you're doing as well. So for this special 100th episode, I want to do something a little different and take a walk down memory lane to remember and highlight some of my most memorable quotes, guests, and moments throughout my time producing this podcast. Now, I want to let you know in advance that I'm going to flash through this collection of clips, because if I thoroughly introduced each of these guests and these clips, this episode would be hours long. However, if you want to find and listen to one of the full episodes featuring any of these guests in the highlight episode, I have the list with the guests, their episode number, and the corresponding times that they appear in this episode included in the description of this episode. So, without further ado, let's get started with the 100th episode of Be The Change Podcast. When I was 14 years old, uh, summer going into my freshman year of high school, my older brother passed away after going to a party and combining the prescription drug Xanax with alcohol. And after he passed away, you're kind of in this place where you don't really know what to do with yourself. You have like a billion questions, you know, was this something I missed? Was this something that we could have prevented? And we kind of invited all of his friends over to sit with us in our basement, just looking for answers. You know, my parents are phenomenal people, love them. And they weren't really looking for somebody to blame. They just wanted an explanation because it was really out of nowhere. You know, my brother didn't have a history with substance abuse or addiction or anything. He kind of was the typical college kid. So we invited his friends over and the overwhelming response was, we just don't know how this happened. We don't, we don't get it. We don't know how it was him. He was never the kid that we were ever concerned about. I'm trying to think uh, two big things that come to mind. Um, it's 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 honestly like put yourself out there and, and gain all those experiences to really understand and really find your passion. Because um, sometimes you may know what you really want to focus your time and effort on, or sometimes you, you may not. And, and the best way to really understand and validate that is really put yourself with all those different experiences, you know, get involved, volunteer, anything that you can do big or small to really gain those experiences and really gain those insights. I think will help you understand what it is that truly is that true calling that you want to do. And even from a day-to-day standpoint, um, never failing to realize that like the interactions we have with, with people around you can also serve as an opportunity to make an impact. Um, Cause like I said earlier, right. It's like, if you're able to make one person's day, like that person is going to get so impacted that they're going to, you know, hopefully have the positive influence on those around them that they interact with that day. 
And then those people will have that. And you'll notice like they'll create that ripple effect of change. I'm passionate about so many issues and I advocate for so many issues, whether it's education, the environment, homelessness, anti-bullying, mental health, you name it. But truly the biggest issue that I like to think that I'm an activist for is activism itself. So inspiring people to be the change that they want to see in the world and inspiring people to take that step and do something and take action on the issues that they're passionate about. And I like to think that I kind of help people and push people to take that nudge just to start because when changing the world, the hardest thing that people have the hardest time with is starting. And so I just kind of teach people how to start and give people the tools and resources. And my greatest hope within all that I do is that if people see me learning and doing, then they will be inspired to learn and do themselves. And this is what I've been doing since I was nine years old. And now I'm almost 18. I am at my core, a unifier. I feel like I was put on this earth to bring people together, to have conversations that matter. And I've been on this journey for the past six years now, which is wild to think about, but it all started back in Wichita, Kansas, where I'm from. Um, I grew up feeling like I was always the odd one out. I was the Jewish kid in my community, but I was the only Jewish kid. And so from an early age, I just felt different from a lot of my peers and I wanted to make a difference in the world, but I, I didn't know how and I felt like I didn't have a voice. So long story short, followed the yellow brick road to the University of Pennsylvania, um, started to break open that Midwestern echo chamber that I was brought up in and started to realize that there were so many people on campus from all walks of life, but we only stayed in groups of people of who were like-minded. Um, everyone really stayed inside their identity groups. So I wanted to do something to change that. So I started an organization at Penn called Table Talk. The whole purpose was to bring people together outside of the classroom, become friends, and then started evolving Table Talk into a larger organization, spread it to over 80 college and high school campuses, and then realized that there was something larger here beyond the campus model. And thus the Conversationalist was born in 2019, really to create a space for young people everywhere to come together and have conversations that matter. I am a 2019 graduate from Margie Summon Douglas High School. Um, and that school is pretty known worldwide now, unfortunately, um, due to a shooting that our community experienced on February 14, 2018, um, and it was my junior year of high school. And I was directly impacted by this shooting, being in the third classroom attacked by the gunman and having to hide underneath one of my murdered classmate bodies to survive. And since then, we've seen a national conversation arise around gun violence prevention, which sparked outside, like sparked from my school which kind of irritated me because I felt like the conversation was very one-sided um, and it was very focused on mass shootings, which are not even 2% of gun violence. And I felt like folks were forgetting that people that look like me, black and brown youth, um, are directly and disproportionately impacted by gun violence every single day. So I decided to speak out and share my platform with those in marginalized communities of color who deal with gun violence, um, just so folks could hear their stories, hear their experiences, and hear what resources that they need in their communities to prevent gun violence. I ended up battling a series of mental health issues from performance anxiety to binge eating disorder to ultimately an episode of major depression, which was the lowest point in my life that I 
students experienced. And in going through those things, I just was opened up to the conversation around mental health and how many people could struggle from this. And I thought we're struggling for this and specifically when it came to student athletes. Yeah, I have two. So one is from Dr. Seuss and he as a person is problematic, but um, the quote is really great. And it goes, you are you, that is truer than true. There is no one alive who is you than you. And I'm pretty sure people have heard it. It's a fairly like not, um, you know, niche quote, but I, I take that really personally because I think your journey is so like unique. And I think something that a lot of activists experience is imposter syndrome and it's really hard to overcome. It's really hard to realize that you're different and you're worth it and your journey is like valuable. Um, And so I think that that kind that quote really just made me realize that no one can be me. And I don't mean that in an egotistic way. It's more of like, my journey is just so unique to me and everything I do is can't really be compared to another person. And so I just need to keep striving and doing what I want to do best and it'll all work out from there. And I don't need to compare myself to another person in order to be more successful. I think that's that quote really helped me with imposter syndrome and really framing myself in terms of like how I can keep going on my journey without having to compare myself with others, um, if that makes sense. So I actually came out to my parents twice because the first time was just really, really bad. Like, well, I'm not sure if it was bad or just like we just didn't talk about it, but it was um, winter break of sophomore year in high school. And by that time, you know, I was already driving, like I was already, you know, like um, not experimenting, but kind of like cognizant of, you know, my um, sexuality or like newly cognizant because when you're 16, you're like, you don't really know. It was winter break and my family and I always go to Mexico for Christmas. So we were eating dinner in Mexico on Christmas Eve and, um, I just had this sudden urge to tell my parents. So literally in the middle of dinner, like we're eating octopus or something. And I was like, hey, mom, dad, like I need to tell you something. And like, I just told them. And like, we talked about it for like a few hours. And then I thought everything was okay. But then like the day after we got home to Houston, they took me to the pediatrician because like I was a swimmer so I was like okay it's just like a physical because I was still you know in athletic season during that time and like it was a regular checkup it was a regular physical and then like my parents get out of the room and my pediatrician comes in and he just says like oh your parents told me that like you think that you might be gay like I have a list of these therapists and you can choose from one of them and like in that moment I was like well like I didn't really want them to tell anyone. Like, I was still working through it myself. Let's see. I I always tell people that I've been um, someone involved in justice work for all my life. I remember volunteering at mitzvah days at my synagogue when I was just a few years old, um, doing car washes to raise money for charity and not being tall enough to wash the hood of the cars. So I would just specialize on the hubcaps. Um, and as I got older, I learned more and more about inequality and systemic injustice. And I think those causes um, and the 
disproportionate way that minority communities are impacted by inequality in the United States um, has really like shaped my understanding over time. And I think um, that broader framework that I carry with me kind of shaped how I've processed my own trauma in relation to a lot of the issues I worked on. So for example, when I was 13 years old, my grandfather, who I looked up to for a lot of my young life, um, committed suicide with a gun. And that was a deeply, deeply difficult uh, traumatic event for me. It was very difficult to know how to move forward and exist in the world after that. And it was through the community of amazing advocates and activists that I met in the GVP space that I really found a path for myself to not only pro process my own grief, but also work on this issue. Um, I, I felt so much less alone seeing that my story was mirrored by so many other people and we all could come together and try and fight the circumstances that led to our suffering, and the, the suffering of our loved ones. Everyone needs to be heard. Everyone needs to feel valued at the, you know, as a basic human desire is we all want to feel heard and loved and appreciated. And there shouldn't really ever be a reason for that to not be the case. And I think as you mature and, and grow more patient with listening to other people, and even specifically like engaging with people who you disagree with most of the time, really broadens your kind of train of thought and what you're able to accept versus not accept. So something I do that I found that's kind of like a good action item to the listeners is following Twitter accounts that you completely disagree with. I was talking to this uh, about this with a friend the other day. There's an account that I follow that is extremely bold and harsh that I rarely agree with the things that they tweet. But I love seeing what they tweet because I always feel this cognitive dissonance. I always feel like, oh, like this makes me uncomfortable. I don't know if I agree with you, but like seeing it every day is such a great thought exercise, some like brain gymnastics of forcing yourself to empathize with someone else and understand where they're coming from, even if it's not your immediate reaction. My last shot was a project that I started working on in like June of 2018. And essentially the whole purpose around it was to use photography and kind of like this really strong message to get people's attention about specifically young people's awareness of gun violence and how much of a threat it poses on our futures. And so I took inspiration from Emmett Till and his death and how his parents used the images of his horrific murder to kind of bring attention to these civil rights issues that were happening. And the images of his death helped to spark the civil rights movement. So with my last shot, it's essentially young people acknowledging that gun violence is such a threat on our futures that we are okay with our images being used in case we are ever shot. The whole goal is so that that never happens, you know, we more want it to just be a messaging thing, but there's something really strong to be said, you know, when someone puts it on their student ID and they're aware that they can be killed wherever they are, unfortunately, but that's just our reality here in America. So that was my main inspiration and motivation to do the project. I've been doing a lot of work in mental health ever since I was 15. So from like 15 to 18 years old, I was doing a lot of work in policy change. I worked up in the Washington state legislature. I worked, worked in two legislation sessions, passing one bill in 2019. And then when I entered college, I was kind of like, mm, okay, policy, super dope, super needed. It's super hard to be genuine. 
And I'm a very genuine, like, I feel like that's, that's kind of like my motto is to be the most genuine person I can be through capturing people's stories. So now then I switch into this research perspective where, again, I've been interviewing people from about 15 different countries so far of just how do you experience and feel and define mental health? And it's such an individual and cultural difference. So um, that's been the work that I've been doing this past year and a half. There's a quote that I really live by, which is whether you think you can or you can't, you are 100% right. And I really believe that to be true. So for all the students who are, I mean, all the people out there who are thinking, you know, this, I want to create change. I don't know where to begin. I don't know how to get started. I really think that the most important thing in doing anything in life is your mindset. Yeah, sure. So basically, uh, I grew up in a community where, you know, sports is a very important part of the culture. It's like in Latin America, you know, it's this, the main sports in the country. And uh, I, I used to like play with my cousins when I was younger, attend football games. And uh, I used to like always uh, like play during weekends with my cousins and my uncles and also during Ramadan nights with my neighbors. But when puberty kind of hit me, I just saw that people's treatment to me really changed. Like you're just considered as a woman and you shouldn't be playing sports. It's you're like growing up, you know, it's not for you anymore. You should focus on other things that are more like feminine or like that fits more uh, the woman image that we, the stereotype about women that we have in our society. And even though one of the problems that I used to face, like really, really small problems, like in middle school, in Morocco, the only sports that is limited to girls is basketball. Girls don't play soccer. So basically, the physical education teacher would uh, train girls to play basketball and the boys to play soccer. And I was pretty aggressive while playing basketball. I wasn't doing it on purpose, not going to lie. But, you know, I wanted him to put me in the soccer team, so I was kind of playing aggressively. And the girls would complain about me playing very aggressively. So he was like, you know what, Rania, you're going to play with the boys. It was like the party for me. I was like, yay, finally, it worked. Yeah, no, I love this. So I would say that in to begin with, it's like a lot of us are indoctrinated by the systems we live in, whether that's culture, whether that's religion, whether that's capitalism, whether that's just our own family beliefs that we've grown up with. And in these beliefs and in these systems, there's often times of homophobia, transphobia, like all the isms that exist that make us more fragmented as beings. And so what I talk about in unlearning was the first stage to recognize the pain and power that you may have been perpetuating, right? And especially myself in college, something that I feel that younger me was and seeing a lot of college students around me was this idea of call-in culture, right? Like, oh, you didn't say this correctly. You perpetuated this. And it's like, yes, I did perpetuate a lot. Of, and I need to address that I'm not perfect and I'm working actively to be anti-racist, imperialist, and colonialist because some of the values that I've been forced to adopt due to my survival is really toxic for my health and toxic for communities. And that takes decades of unlearning. And I think a lot of people really think unlearning is this beautiful process of like, I'm learning how to love myself again. It's like, you don't know how to love yourself until people hold you accountable for your errors. And that's when people run away. And that's the most hurtful because I've had a lot of friends who like, when challenged by me and they've challenged me too, it's like they've, they've chosen to really ignore me or take it as like, I'm hating them. And so there's moments where I think unlearning needs to be done a lot in the environmental movement to understand that 
the ideas of the crises we're facing isn't because of just humans being mean people. It's literally people in the system that have perpetuated white supremacist tendencies to inflict damage and to displace indigenous communities is what we're fighting against this larger system, not exact, not necessarily white people. And so that is something that I feel like a lot of people are recognizing or trying to identify now. As a reproductive rights activist, I do a lot of work around abortion rights by, you know, traveling around the country and speaking out for it. Right now, I'm currently working on a book called My Body that uh, centers many different voices on the issue around abortion. And all of the profits from that will go to the AFIA Center, which addresses racial disparity and access to reproductive health care. In addition to that, I also work on the board of directors at RAP, which is the largest national abortion fund in the States. And then let's see, as a musician, I'm currently working on a single right now that I'm hoping to drop soon. So that's me. (laughs) I had one episode with Riel John Baptiste, and he said to me that your true self is your superpower. And I love that so much because we're afraid to be honest about who we are. Where with social media specifically, when you see everyone's great lives and how much they have and what they're doing, you tend to feel like you have to put on a face too. And you have to appear a certain way. And that's so draining. And when you're not living authentically and being honest with yourself about where you are and who you are, and you're not honest with those around you, and you're trying to hide behind a face that you think everyone's looking for and wants, it breaks you. And your real strength, your superpower, what you have to offer to the world comes from who you are at your core. I didn't know that I wanted to go into engineering when I started college. I um, actually had no idea that girls could be engineers. To be frank, I, I didn't know it was an option um, for someone like me who enjoyed wearing makeup and getting dressed up and advocating for social causes and wearing high heels at the same time. Um, I didn't think, I thought engineers were just the Sheldon Coopers of the world or the Bill Nye, the science guys. And as cool as Bill Nye is, I don't want to discredit him. He's fantastic. I just didn't see myself reflected by him. And so I didn't know that engineering was for me until I started to be encouraged by women in engineering. And I started to see role models and I started to know that that could be an option for me. And I kind of just took it and ran with it. And it took me quite a long time to graduate with my my engineering degree. Um, It didn't come naturally to me in some ways. Some parts, the problem solving, the empathy, the human design, that came naturally. But the I don't know, the hardcore math and sciences, the sitting for hours in a room studying, that did not come naturally to me. And so it was a bit of a struggle, but I believe that anyone can be anything they want to be with enough perseverance and and encouragement. So very grateful to have graduated with an engineering degree. Um, I I was in high school and didn't really know what my purpose was, didn't know how I could affect change, but I I knew that somewhere inside me was a voice. Uh, I just wasn't trying to get it out. And I think you know, at that time, I was very focused on big picture and, you know, changing the world. And there wasn't any in between for me. It was either I was voiceless or I was a voice for millions of people. 
And I think that's what uh, caught me up a little bit. And, and that's why, you know, I had a, a period of, you know, not being super productive and, and, you know, being very scared to, to speak out and, and to try and enact change in the way I wanted to. And, you know, I think when I realized that, you know, I, I don't need to change the world tomorrow, uh, I, I can, I can start taking little steps and, you know, that, that can end up making all the difference. And, you know, I had a really cool experience where I had, I had recently self-published my book in uh, July of, of uh, 2020. And, you know, a- after I shipped them out, I ended up getting n- not, a, not a crazy amount of messages, maybe, maybe four or five DMs from people who had just read through the book and they said, you know, wow, I never knew that someone could, you know, so perfectly describe how I've been feeling for so long, or, you know, this book really, really made me feel less alone. Uh, You know, so in my mind, that was sort of my way of enacting change. And, And from there, you know, I realized that it really is just little steps. And, you know, when they say Rome wasn't built in a day, you know, it's, it's, it's super true. And I never, never really grasped that until recently. I think I, well, I hope the future is female, but um, I think what, for what I hope the future will bring is really that women feel more um, accepted into this field. Um, There is a statistic I'm thinking on where it's from, but a man doesn't have to be asked for office one time. He'll just run out of his own, you know, thoughts or whatever, while a woman has to be asked nine times to run. And I think just that disbelief that I, there is no space for me runs so high. And I hope that with what women in politics does, especially with the younger generation, that if we can instill it younger, that they do have a space and that they do have a voice, that they'll feel that they are, that they can actually run. Because at the local and even state level, disregarding president, uh, presidential races, women are just as likely to win as men. It's just the act of believing that they can run that's stopping, um, that's stopping us. Yeah, I met a lot of interesting characters, a lot of strange characters, but interesting. I love interesting. I don't like basic and bland. What some people call strange, I find I find beautiful. And I've my style has egregiously changed. I used to be very gun ho, very much a very anti-establishment. Let's just take stuff down and you're wrong, you're wrong, you're gonna be part of the bloodshed. And I built coalitions to just, you know, beat beat people. And I I, I absolutely changed once um I entered the conversation this. Um, because I grew up in the echo chamber where it's very, I mean, I'm honest, I'm, I'm registered independent, I vote left and right, but it's very far left where I live. And if you're anything else, you'll get slandered, bullied, dragged through the mud, canceled. And it made me like resent and hate people that thought like that. And it shifted me to the other side. But then I realized after meeting people from all over the country that this happens to left-leaning people in like backwards Alabama, you know, no offense to that, but you know, what I'm trying to say it's not a one side issue with all sides. So it really opened my mind and I'm like, why I need to be much better at listening and incorporating all people. It's not all about me and not a superstar. I need to take everybody into account. I was very humbled, very much more mellowed out, very, very, I still like acting very quick, but I'm, I'm more patient now. I've matured. I feel like I really feel like that my leadership through meeting others has matured and be, become more practical and more reasonable through hearing all these other people's experiences, ideas, ideologies, and understanding that 
if you're in a leadership position, sometimes you have to make decisions on yourself because time permits that. But I really like to take almost everyone's um, considerations into place when a decision is made. While these are some of my memorable moments from recording Be The Change, it is certainly not all of them, and I've enjoyed and learned so much from every conversation I've had on this podcast so far. I started this podcast with the goal of amplifying the voices of young people who are making a difference in their communities, countries, and around the world, and I wouldn't have been able to create this podcast and keep it going without all of the immense support I've been given over the past two years. Support from friends, from family, from guests on the show, from other activists, the list goes on. But I want to thank you all and let you know how grateful I am for all of you. Now, I want to return to the whole purpose of Be The Change, because what would this 100th episode be without ending with some advice? So many of us have been privileged in one way or another, whether that privilege be in the form of amazing talents, a scholarship for school, or lots of support like you all have given me. For anyone listening who feels like they've been given a lot and can relate to what I'm saying, I believe that it is our duty, in turn, to take that support, those talents, all of those privileges we may have, and use them to make a difference in the lives of others. I challenge you all to think about all that you've been given, and think about how you can use those privileges. Because change comes when you remember that to whom much is given, much is expected. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and again, if you want to listen to any of the full episodes featuring the guests you heard in this episode, check out the list in the description. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then, be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys!